शिला गुरुदेव की जय श्रीमान महाप्रभु की जय श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जय श्री नवदुग्धाम की जय घोर भक्तवृंद की जय घोर प्रेमान हरि हरि बो तो माय प्रणाम तो ऑल ऑफ यू फ्रॉम श्री नवदुग्धाम here almost in my last week here in, in, in Mahaprabhu's Divine Abode. Today we have a very nice Nagar Sankirtan in Trikodrum Dwip and Prasad distribution. So very, very interesting morning experiences. And similarly some days ago we went to visit Sri Chaitanya Saraswat Mat. So we spent quite a lot of time in Srila Siddhar Maharaj's personal room, Bhajan Kutir, hopefully we can share some pictures these days and in this way sharing with the Vaishnavs and praying for Sri Gorsundar's blessings. So, as usual, we will receive any questions you may have in our Istagosti dynamic and there are already some in the chat, so I will address the first two that are sent in the chat and in case anyone has any other question, you may eventually send that via uh, chat or you may raise your hand or uh, unmute yourself and eventually present your question. But let's begin with the first two sent by Saragrahi Dasi and Namrasa Prabhu. Mm-hmm. So the first one comes from Saragrahi and she's saying, Could you tell more about Subhadra Devi and her relationship with Vrindavan? I read in Guru Maharaj's Sangha that she's Jogamaya serving behind the scenes in Krishna Lila. Purnamasi and Brindadevi are her manifestations in the Braja Lila. I do not know any of her pastimes from Brindavan as Krishna's sister, so I was wondering what her mood is when she is going back with Jagannath Krishna to Brindavan. <coughs> okay, so interestingly, this question not exactly the same, but very similar was presented like, I will say, one week ago, last Saturday, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe two weeks ago, uh, in, in, in my Q&A in Spanish, from Harinam Ananda from Colombia. So, of course, it's, it will never be the same reply, but we will for sure share some of the ideas shared on that day. So, some words on, on, on Srimati Subhadra, Maharani Ki Jai. So, of course, the name Subhadra means uh, extremely auspicious. Bhadra speaks about auspiciousness or someone who is auspicious, basically. And Su, Bhadra, like Su, Dur, Laba, and so many words that begin with Su, it's like an adjective of emphasis. So, extremely auspicious, Srimad Subhadra Devi, who, as my Guru Maharaj said, and you also mentioned here, She's one of many of the many expressions of Sri Yogamaya, hmm? which is this uh, divine Shakti of Bhagavan, which helps to make the Lila basically uh, get accomplished in itself, and to reach all that it needs to reach for be fulfilled at every single moment, every single Lila, every single situation is required a particular environment, arrangement, dynamics, associates, 
mood. So all that is orchestrated by Yoga Maya. And yes, this Yoga Maya, this higher internal potency basically of Bhagavan, it's personified generally mostly is connected with the figure of uh, Purnamasi, who is like the Gurvi. Gurvi is like the female for Guru. So the Gurvi in, in the whole of Raj, she's the Acharya in the village and everyone is taking shelter in her for guidance in, in her bhajan kutir, this elderly lady that basically, yeah, is, is the, 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 the one who is uh, nourishing the whole of Raj. Krishna himself bows down to her, offers his pranam like an elder and asks for her blessings and for sure Yogamaya is there to bestow those blessings of Sri Hari. So, but also apart from Purnamasi, we know, for example, about Brinda Devi. She's another face of Yogamaya as a Dutika, as a lady messenger gopi, who is really also not only bringing back and forth different messages to arrange for the daily meetings of the divine couple, but also, as I mentioned, ordering, instructing the environment to 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 uh, how to say. To transform basically in a particular way, mm-hmm. invoke a particular season in a particular forest, certain uh, trees to give flowers in a particular way, or fruits, or whatever. You know, everything the, the birds singing in a particular tone, a particular note to invoke the particular rasa. So, Brinda Devi is also responsible for all the things in a more active way, if you will, in a, interacting much more, if we will in the dynamics of the Lila Dampurnamasi, who is like an elderly lady residing in her cottage. And from there, from a retired uh, platform, in the distance she is like activating everything, but Brinda Devi shows a much more active form, running here and there and dealing with everyone, and anyone, everyone orchestrating like this. Now going to Subhadra Devi, that's an interesting question, because generally she's not that much considering to that equation, but nonetheless, Srimati Subhadra Devi has been uh, described as Yogamaya. Especially, of course, her, we, we may know of her mostly because of her appearance in, in the midst of Sri Baladev and Jagannath in Puri, in, the, in the, this famous divine trio, Jagannath, Baladev, Subhadra. She's right in the center. Guru Maharaj always reminds us how in the Rathiyatra Srila Prabhupada, every time there was a Rathiyatra Srila Prabhupada would choose to ride on Subhadra's cart, interestingly. Which again, remember, she is the Yoga Maya potency. So from that, from that cart, the whole thing is, is moving. Not only that cart is moving, but the whole thing is moving. So, the Bhagavatam regarding Yoga Maya is not telling us that much, if you will. Now we will go a little bit to the narrative. But it will describe something connected, of course, with Krishna's Janma Lila. And then basically nothing else will be said till we will hear about Subhadra in Dwarka getting married with Arjuna, Krishna's friend, warrior friend, one of the Pandavas. So in this connection, we can see some interesting. Aspects, that's because your question has to do with how, uh, which are her pastimes in Vrindavan. And of course, concerning the Prakat Lila, manifest Lila on earth, we could say that, strictly speaking, Subhadra is only in Vrindavan for a few moments, as we, as we will see. 
Then she's taken to Mathura and then she goes eventually to Dwarka when Krishna moves himself there and moves all this, all of his associates from Mathura go with him to Dwarka, basically. They empty Mathura, if you will, and they invade Dwarka, enter Dwarka, pack Dwarka. So, of course, the, the first, the very first uh, manifestation, if you will, or appearance of Subhadra in the, in the Lilas, as the Bhagavatam depicts it, is when Krishna is born. Hmm? So, of course, the Bhagavatam overtly is describing Krishna's birth, Krishna's Janma Lila, in the land of Mathura, in the city of Mathura, which, of course, according to our Gaudiya lens and the Goswami Granta, that's a secondary manifestation of Krishna, Mathuresh Krishna, an expansion of the original one, who is being born simultaneously in Vrindavan for the womb of Jashoda. Mm-hmm. So, and Subhadra has a lot to do with this, as we will see. So, Krishna is born in his expansion, at least as the Bhagavatam describes overtly, in Mathura, and as we know, Vasudev had promised Kamsa, I will show, show you, it, I will present to you each of these children that Devaki will have, so you do whatever you like. He was, that was his promise, you remember, we remember, that was the only way how he was able to pacify Kamsa. And Kamsa believed, because Vasudev has such a, a good reputation for being truthful. But when Krishna was born, he felt inspired to hide him, not to show him to, to Kamsa. <laughs> And eventually he took Krishna, as we know, from the Kamsa's prison. He, he crossed the ocean, a very biblical uh, scene there. <laughs> the ocean is opening, basically, or something like this. And he reaches Vrindavan at midnight. And according to the official narrative, he finds a girl being born from Yashoda's womb only. And he does some exchange. He leaves Krishna and he takes the girl, the baby, who is Subhadra and goes back to Mathura without anyone no- noticing that. And the next day, of course, Rajabhasis realized the king has a child, there is a successor to the throne, and big celebration is there in the form of Nandotsa. But according to the Goswami's narrative, and of course they are not just sharing whatever they think, but they are uh, referencing and supporting their, their statements with other Puranic statements, Padma Purana mainly, and, and so on. So they show, and the Bhagavatam itself in many parts is showing how Krishna actually is born in Braj. The very first verse of the Gita, the Gopis are saying that. Jayati te dikam janmana braja shayata indira sasvadatrahi, and so on. So the first line immediately says that. Jayati te dikam. Janmana Braja. So you who are Janma, your Janma is in Braj. So the gopis are saying Krishna is born in Braj. I mean, there's no higher authority than them. <laughs> and of course, those, the gopis in the form of the Goswamis are confirming that in the, in the context of Gorlila. So the Goswamis are mentioning actually when Basudev arrived at, at Nanda Maharaj's place, he actually, there was not only a girl but there was also a boy. In other words, Krishna, Braja Krishna, Krishna's two Bhagavan Sayam, Supreme Personality of Godhead, however you may like to call him in those lines, that Krishna, our original ultimate Istadev, the original source of all other forms, was born in Braj. But Vasudev did not see that Krishna. Vasudev only saw the girl. 
he, he thought, I'm bringing Krishna and I'm exchanging him for a girl and I'm taking back the girl to the prison. So interestingly, Vasudev was not aware that there, were, there was already one Krishna born in Vrindavan and he never saw that the Krishna he brought from Mathura, the expansion of the original one merged into the original Krishna, actually. That was not perceived by Vasudev because of his particular bhav, so his Vatsalya for Krishna. Nonetheless, he has some form of Vatsalya, not the same type of Vatsalya that, that Nanda has, but he has Vatsalya nonetheless. So, in order for him to not dis- be disturbed in, in his Vatsalya dynamics and in such a crucial, delicate moment, it is said that he only made this exchange, but he never realized Krishna was born in Braj. So he remained with his, if you will, with his feeling, Krishna is my son. And Krishna was born in Mathura. That's how also Krishna, Yadyatamam Prapadam Sthitam Krishna reciprocates accordingly with each devotee. So for Nanda, Nanda will feel Krishna is my son. Vasudeva will feel Krishna is my son. And somehow the two of them are correct, <laughs> subjectively speaking. Objectively speaking, also they are correct, but there is some hierarchy, if you will. And that hierarchy, as we know, was... Uh, that conclusive hierarchy was established by Devaki herself, who also thinks Krishna is my son from Mathura, but as we know, when the solar eclipse of Kurukshetra was there, and Devaki witnessed the degree of love that Krishna had for Yashoda, or we could say that Yashoda had for Krishna, is basically in one sense the same, because one is perfectly reciprocal with the other, she realized, oh, she said to Yashoda, you are her mother. Even though, again, she's not aware Krishna was originally born in Vrindavan and my Krishna is an expansion of him who merged. Then, no, that, that was not with her in her Baba. But when she saw the degree of her Vatsalya and he, she saw the degree of Krishna's reciprocation to that degree of Vatsalya, she never saw that degree of Vatsalya and therefore she never saw Krishna reciprocating to that degree of Vatsalya with her because she doesn't have the same degree of Vatsalya than Jashoda. So then she said, you just showed her the real mother of Krishna. So interestingly, it's not that at that moment she got the news, actually Krishna was also born in Vrindavan. No, she's saying, you are the real mother in terms of your degree of bhav, your degree of Vatsalya Prem, is way above mine. In that sense, you are her mother. So, so the point is, again, the girl was born to Badra, along with Krishna in Vrindavan, they were born as twins, basically. Krishna is born along with Yogamaya, in other words. Wherever one goes, the others follow. But one of the main influence, I, we, we, I, we could say, we could argue, arguably say it in one sense, the very, first, the very first moment that Subhadra is born, in Vrindavan, she's performing that a pastime, a Yogamaya pastime from her very birth, like covering the vision of Vasudev, not allowing him to see the Krishna born in Vrindavan, and just seeing her. And after that, she leaves Vrindavan, <laughs> basically. So, in strictly speaking, that's her only pastime in Vrindavan, if you will, in terms of the Prakat Lila, in, in, in the form of Subhadra Devi, Yogamaya in that particular form. Again, she's leaving Braj, of course, so many other forms of Yogamaya remain there, Purnamasi, uh, Brinda Devi. 
but in the form of Subhadra, she creates this first initial curtain for Vasudev not to see Braja Krishna, only to think in terms of Maturesh Krishna, making the exchange, as we know, then Subhadra goes with Vasudev. So that will be the first and maybe only pastime, if you want to call it like that, of Subhadra in Vrindavan, because after that she is taken to Mathura and eventually to Dwarka. And then in Mathura, as we know, Kams eventually gets the, got the news, Devaki's eighth son, child, child was born. He goes there to kill the child and realizes a girl. What's going on? The prophecy said it was a boy. But nonetheless, he tries to smash her. And, and at the moment, the, the baby goes up in the sky and starts to say to Kams, oh, you are such a fool. You think you can kill me and they thumb children of Devaki was already born, blah, 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 and so on. And basically, the, with this also, she's showing herself, interestingly, Subhadra at that point, she's not showing herself as Yoga Maya to Kamsa, but as Mahamaya. Because Kamsa doesn't have the eyes to deal with Yoga Maya. Her approach to the Shakti, to the, the principle of Devi, is not with integrity. It's, it's in the spirit of exploitation. So she shows a particular face. As we know, she shows herself as Kali, Durga, mentioning I'm worshipping in this place, under these names, and so on. And chastises comes, basically. So, again, that's, that's a face she's taking according to the specific circumstance that requires her that particular expression of herself there. So, eventually, again, Bhagavatam, after that, almost does not mention her till we reach advanced sections in the 10th canto, almost at the end, when Krishna is in Dwarka. So after being in Mathura, uh, they are in Dwarka. And again, I mentioned the Bhagavatam because for us Gaudias, we mostly uh, address all these different issues and Tattva, Subhadra, Tattva in this case, through the lens of, of the Bhagavatam. And eventually it is mentioned how she marries Arjun in Dwarka. Also, there's not that much detail uh, in the whole pastime there. I'm, I'm not going in that direction too much because your question mostly has to do with Subhadra's pastimes in Vrindavan. And at the end you mentioned, I was wondering with, uh, what her mood is when she's going back with Jagannath Krishna to Vrindavan. Of course, um, so for that we have to go to the Rathi Yatra pastime basically. Because that's, that's the notion you mentioned, Jagannath as, as, as Krishna and Subhadra being there. So, of course, this is not a pastime that is narrating in the, narrated in the Bhagavatam. That Krishna is going back to Vrindavan, at least overtly, as I mentioned in, in, uh, in our recent study of the Brahma Gita, overtly the Bhagavatam doesn't mention Krishna returned to Vrindavan, at least in a very evident way. Again, it is mentioned here and there, but you have to pay close attention to find those sections that put them together as the work Goswamis did and make their case for Krishna actually returned to Vrindavan. He had to, basically. Because, I mean, he made the promise. He had to reciprocate with the Brajavasas. And, and as we saw, he did. So, but actually this Rathi Yatra pastime, you know, somehow is connected with Dwarka. As we know, Jagannath Puri is identified with Dwarka. Jagannath Puri sometimes is identified also with Kurukshetra. And it wants to make a point. It wants to make the point that Krishna even if he's outside of Vrindavan, quote-unquote, outside in a particular expansion, he's brought back to Vrindavan by the strength of the love present there, by the force, by the robes of affection coming from the Brajavasis. Hmm. So, this is a main important point which highlights hmm, the Brajavad. Hmm. 
So, of course, Subhadra Devi has a lot to do with that. The very forms of Jagannath Baladev Subhadra are connected with that. There's a famous story that is narrated in one book called Mahabha Prakash. And you may know that one, but I will share that briefly, which has to do one of the many stories that explain why Jagannath Baladev and Subhadra had the particular forms they have, they have, which may seem like some totem-like African <laughs> voodoo forms or something. Some people have seen them and were really like overwhelmed. No? Like, what's the meaning of that? So, of course, in this Mahabha Prakash, the setting is, is Dwarka. And basically the notion there is that um, Krishna is in separation from the Brajavasis and at night he's calling the names of Radha, Lalita, Vishaka, his friend, and the queens are not grasping what's go- going on. Krishna is calling other ladies, other, other lovers at night. So you can imagine in the morning they're waiting for him to say, who is Radha, who is Lalita, Vishaka? They have no experience whatsoever about Brajavasis. By Krishna is shouting and screaming and crying and, and exhibiting Asta Satvika Vikar during sleep and calling them with full heart. So these queens are saying, I mean, he never called us like that. Who are they? <laughs> but they somehow have a, a hint that, yeah, Krishna spent his first 11 years in Braj. As we know, those are the, the years in our life that made our whole sense of identity, you know, our main uh, samskaras, if you will, concerning our personality, our Abhiman, come from those initial ages. So that applies also to Bhagavan in his Lila, if you will. So they knew, okay, he was born in Vrindavan, he lived his first years there. So he, there's something con- connected with that experience that we do not have a clue about, but we can see that he's totally into it. So we would like to have a, a further glimpse about that reality so we can better understand our husband. Basically, the queens of, of Dwarka think like that. 16,108 queens. So, for this they go to Rohini Mata, who is Balaram's mother, who, who is in the Prakat Lila in Dwarka, but who was also in Vrindavan during Krishna's Braja Lila. So, he has these two experiences. So, she can share, he can give a glimpse of that. They were not willing to ask Krishna himself because they thought... If he's like this, just dreaming about them, what if we ask him to speak about that? Who knows what may happen? So, they asked Rohini Mata to share Brajalila Kata, but she said, she agrees with the proposal, but say this will be too absorbing. This will, I, I don't know which may be the consequence of that. Brajalila Kata is very deep, very esoteric, very capturing. So, I don't know where we will end with this narration. This is no return ticket, basically. <laughs> This is a particular journey. And especially what to speak if Krishna, Balaram, Baladev, who are in Dwarka, who are Brajavasis actually, uh, hear about this. Who knows what might be the reaction. So the whole idea was someone has to be like Jai Bijai, basically gatekeepering, uh, as a gatekeepers in, outside. So to prevent that Krishna and Balaram get closer, because if they come and they hear this, I, I will have to stop the narration or maybe who knows what will happen. So, Subhadra, Subhadra Devi offered herself. I will do that. Mm-hmm. So here we will find another interesting uh, function she's playing as Jogamaya. Remember, she's Jogamaya. <laughs> Although in the Lila, she's this, this lady who has not been in Vrindavan, who, who was born only in Vrindavan. But, I mean, 
that is not known for almost anyone, basically. Almost everyone thinks, oh, she's born from the shoulder and so on, uh, the back and so on. So she's as a gatekeeper, and Rohini Devi starts the narration, and the Dwarka queens are hearing and get absorbed and tasting Braja Lila Kata in, a, in their own Adhikara according to their capacity, but really being overwhelmed because they are getting to know Krishna as they never knew him. As we explained in the Brahma Gita, when Uddhav went to Vrindavan, he did not only knew about the new type of love totally unknown to him, but he knew about the new type of Krishna totally unknown to him. And Krishna was totally known to him. He was like Krishna's best friend in Dwarka, personal minister, so intimate. But by having darshan of the Brajavasi's bhav, and Krishna's being corresponding with that bhav accordingly, because their bhav has Krishna as, a, as the unique object, so they realized a new, he realized a new Krishna there. He got to know Krishna much more from the perspective of Vrindavan. So something similar was happening here to the queens of Dwarka. So Subhadra was uh, guarding the, the gate. Supposedly that was her task. <laughs> but in, in, inevitably she was hearing the kata also. And the more the kata was progressing, the more Subhadra was less doing her gatekeeper duty and he, she was more inside the Harikata, the Brajalila Kata. No? One year in the Harikata, the other half of her paying attention, some was coming. But as the Kata progressed, she was totally into that. And different ecstatic symptoms start, started to appear in her. Because again, she's a, nonetheless a Brajavasi. She was born in Vrindavan. She has Vrindavan blood, if you will. <laughs> DNA is there. So she heard all this, and in the context of the Lila, that exploded in her. And she shows the form, ecstatic form, as we see in Puri. You know, like expanded eyes, contracted arms, no arms, basically. Totally ecstatic, and totally incapable of continuing uh, engaging her duty as a gatekeeper, as you may imagine. So casually, at that moment, Krishna and Balaram appear on the scene. Walking, just casually, Chadrichaya. <laughs> Out of nowhere, out of their own volition, just Krishna and Balaram walking and seeing Subhadra at the distance in a very unique presentation. Totem like Subhadra. No? So Krishna and Balaram, <laughs> they are Rasika. Hmm. They, they know how, they are connoisseurs of the experience of Rasika. So whenever they see the symptoms of ecstasy in someone, they immediately can grasp something interesting must be happening. So they saw their sister at the distance and they realized, oh, there must be something very nice going on there. Look Subhadra. Look her face. Look her arms. No arms. <laughs> no? So, I mean, we have to go there as soon as possible. So they rushed, and one of them put on one side of, of Subhadra and the other side to Subhadra, like we see in the altar. And Subhadra in the center. So the, and Krishna Balaran started to hear Rajali Lakata. And again, Subhadra was not able to say anything. But Rohini continued speaking while the queens were hearing, and Krishna Balaran gradually started to become more and more Subhadra-like, if you will. <laughs> their own eyes started to expand. In this case, their, their hands became like two, no? like sticks outside, and totally uh, stamba, totally incapable of moving. So these are the forms of Jagannath Baladeva Subhadra, who basically speak about these personalities drenched, mm? thrown into a pool of separation from Brajabad, basically. 
And again, Subhadra is Yogamaya. We are, we are not in Vrindavan here. We are in Dwarka, but this is a very special Vrindavan moment. And Dwarka is really acting as Yogamaya, which uh, Yogamaya is like a curtain that sometimes will cover something, will not allow someone to see or to hear something. So as she did something similar with Vasudev, now she's doing the same with Rohini and the queens, and she's falling in ecstasy and not saying anything, and Krishna Balaram hearing this, and so on. So again, this is basically the, the main connection I will make between someone like Subhadra and, and, and the Brindavan Lila, which of course, this is of course intimately as well connected with, with, the, with the Ratha Yatra, with Krishna. I mean, I, I may, I'm expanding maybe too much, sorry, but this is worthy, the topic is worthy of expansion. Uh, you ask also something, Jagannath Krishna going to Vrindavan. And of course that has to do with the Ratha Yatra, and that has to do with the meeting of, I will say, also if we want to, to take the Ratha Yatra perspective, not only from Dwarka, since we already spoke about Dwarka, we can take the Kurukshetra perspective. So after the, the solar eclipse, as we know, Krishna gave different philosophical reasons uh, to the gopis, similar to the discourse he sent with Udav, like, I am everywhere, I am Bhagavan, so you can meditate in me, you will be with, and so on. And of course, as we know, the gopis only had something, one thing to say to Krishna. That's the, the final verse. The only verse that it is mentioned in the Bhagavatam that the gopis reply, they say something in reply to what Krishna is saying in Kurukshetra. You know, the verse says, Ahuschati nalina nava padara vindam Yogeshwarai vidi vichintya maghada bodai Samsara kuppa patito taranavalabham Jesam geham jusam apimanasyudiyat sadhana So, this is a very nice verse where the gopis basically are saying to Krishna Ahuschati nalina nava Oh you who had a navel like lotus and because he spoke about himself as I am Bhagavan, I am the Supreme and so on. So Yogeshwara, you who are meditated upon by great sages, great yogis and so on. Okay, okay with all that, basically. <laughs> the Gopis say, but samsara kuppa patitotara navalamban. We, who we are, who are we in, in comparison with those great personalities? Again, the Gopis always think of themselves and we are totally ordinary, fallen ladies, village, ignorance, uncivilized people. So samsara kupa, we are falling into the well of samsara. Of course, for us, Gaudiya samsara means samsara, full essence. So yes, the gopis are thrown full, full in by, drowning in samsara, <laughs> in that samsara, in that forest fire <laughs> of separation from Krishna. So samsara kupa patitotara navalamma, we are falling into this cycle of birth and death, the gopis say, we are entangling to household affairs. We are ignorant people. So if we can ask someone something for you, is that may your lotus feet be awakened within our hearts. Basically, that's the only thing that the gopis have to say. And the point, of course, this is a very indirect and beautiful and poetic way where the gopis are saying to Krishna, come back to Vrindavan. Because when the gopis say to Krishna, we would like to have your feet awakened in our hearts. The hearts of the gopis is Vrindavan. So that's the way of them saying to him, return with us, come back to Vrindavan. They are saying, may your feet be awakened within our hearts and minds. But their hearts and minds are Vrindavan. 
the hearts and minds of the gopis are not different from Vrindavan. So what they are saying is, we want you back there, because as we remember, Krishna said to them, come with me to Dwarka. And the gopis, by this they are saying, no, you come with us back to Braj. And of course, the whole Rath Theatre Festival represents this, um, this main idea, basically, you know, of Krishna returning to Braj. This is also nicely re- related by by Sanatana Goswami in, in, in the Briha Bhagavatamrita, which this notion of the Nava Vrindavan, uh, and here I'm getting lost and found, but what to do? <laughs> Where Krishna again, uh, going for a moment to Dwarka, he, he faints and Narad Muni appears and they create the whole Vrindavan replica, but at one point, again, it's a long story, I, 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 there are some other questions, but the point is at one point Krishna is fainting and they are organizing everything for him to return to Vrindavan, and it is said that Subhadra mentions, okay, I, I will go first. But Balaram says, I will go first. No, I mean, you are a lady, I will go first, Balaram says. So the, the first cart in the Rath Theater is Balaram. So then Subhadra goes. And Krishna still is not going like Jagannath because he's totally fainted on the floor. And that's why in the Rath Theater, when Krishna is taking Jagannath, taken to the cart, the pandas are moving like Jagannath like this, if you see. Or, or, or he's moving them like that. And Jagannath is appearing like this. No? Like if you are, you, you, you and I, we are two friends and we are taking a third friend of us who is totally drunken. And he cannot walk by himself. He's completely intoxicated and he needs like one friend from each arm to take from them and, and walk in this way. So that's the condition of Krishna in separation of, of, of the Vrindavan. So in, in this way again, we can connect Subhadra being crucial and helpful in orchestrating hmm, this situation of going there hmm, and, and being the <clears throat> how to say yeah, the, the spokesperson for, for announcing to the Brajavasis Krishna is coming, Krishna is coming, prepare everything he's coming and so on so, some ideas Saragrahi, I hope that help, we could continue but I'm seeing that there are at least one more question here by Nam Rasa and I, I see Anil also raising her hand, his hand, so at least I imagine we have two more questions, and maybe more. So I'll go to the next one. This is a question by Namrasa. He's saying, I see many, devotee, many devotees around this time performing Shraddha for their departed relatives. Is this an Indian cultural practice, or is there any Shastric recommendations in Gaudiya Vaishnav texts? for performing a yearly shraddha for departed ancestors and relatives. Okay. So for those who, who do not know shraddha, of course shraddha, most of the devotees may connect that with the idea of, of faith, divine faith, that we conceive it in our particular tradition. Shraddha sabdi vishvaskahe shudridha nishtai. Krishna Bhakti Sarva Karma Kaila Krita Hoy, Chaitanya Charitamrita mentions a brief word on Shraddha from our side. <laughs> For us, Gaudiya Bhajan, first and foremost, Shraddha means hmm, this. Shraddha Sabdi Vishwas Kahe Sudrida Nishta. It means to have a firm conviction that Krishna Bhakti Sarva Karma Kaila Krita Hoy. That by engaging in Krishna Bhakti, I don't need to do anything else. Basically, that's Shraddha. Hmm. Interestingly, that's the foundation of Shraddha. Means by I engaging myself, and, and, and again, by defining this type of Shraddha, indirectly I'm replying to your question on the other type of Shraddha. <laughs> so, by engaging Krishna Bhakti, 
in the angas of bhakti, I do not need to engage in anything else apart from the angas of bhakti, of Krishna bhakti, basically. I do not need to do anything else, like the Bhagavatam says, in, in another perspective, and now I'm going specifically to your question, like for example in the 11th canto, the Bhagavatam is saying, if you practice bhakti but you fall from the path, you don't need to engage in some particular, like, uh, how do you say in English? Uh, exp- exp- uh, Shyamananda, can you help me? When you have to do, you do something wrong and you do something to purify for that and you return, you do something like... As far as penance or reformation? Expia- expiation, you say? Reformation or penance. Okay, okay, whatever. Atonement, that was the word I was looking for. Yeah, but the idea, Atonement, that's right. Yeah, that's you you follow the idea, yeah. So atonement. So the Bhagavatam is saying, if you are engaging in bhakti with surrender and faith and shraddha, which actually is Saranagatir surrender, Bhakti Nautakur says is, is the outer expression of shraddha, so that's a very nice way of putting it. If you are engaging in bhakti in that way, and you fall from the path, you get distracted by whatever influence from this plane, you don't need to engage in any particular atonement before returning to your bhakti sadhana. The thing you need to do is return to your bhakti sadhana. <laughs> Basically, that it's it's on in and of itself enough for getting upgraded and continuing. Because the point with this is there's nothing more powerful than bhakti. So bhakti in itself can rise you, upgrade you from whatever situation you may be before, after, during bhakti, everything. So that to first of all, in order to describe what strata for us in the terms of faith, because also that sometimes is a little bit downplayed or underestimated and we speak very cheaply in terms of strata, like just faith, but women don't may have a clear like idea of how this faith which is the practical application of faith, which is the application and the implication of strata, like the, the official definition says. To have this conviction, Vishwas, Sudrid, says the verse, Sudrida Vishwas means very firm, Sudrida. Drida means firm. Drita Brata and so on. Sudrita, again, Subhatra, <laughs> Sudrita means very firm, Vishwas, which means conviction, confidence. So, very firm conviction, Krishna Bhakti, Sarva Karma, Kaila Kritahai. That by engaging in Krishna Bhakti, I do not need to do anything else. I mean, I may be doing some other things, as we will see, but it's not that I. One thing is that I may be doing something else for social convention that's possible because of some particular reason, but internally my conviction, my faith, my heart is in the direction I don't need actually to do anything else apart from bhakti. I mean, everything is covered there. It's not that if I miss some particular ritual that is, has nothing to do with Krishna Bhakti, uh, I'm failing in something, I'm creating papa or sin or whatever. Basically. And that's of course one of the Nama Aparat to compare the chanting of Harinam with ordinary punya or mundane merit, or piety. That's Nama Parat. So, it's very important for us Gaudiya Bhaktas to 
to understand the difference between bhakti, uttam bhakti, shuddha bhakti, its conception, and other things that may be even prescribed in Shastra, like Shraddha ceremony, hmm? but that's not in the context of uttam bhakti, but that's in the context of something else, <laughs> which is prescribed in the Vedas, because the Vedas are mostly, as we know, at least 75% directed to those who are mostly affected by the gunas. Hmm? But Krishna in the Gita says to Arjuna, Again, Trigunya Vishaya Veda. Most of the Veda, the Vishaya, the topic, the object of the Veda is Trigunya. Sattva, Rajas, Tamas. Dealing with that because why? Because most of the people are in that situation. So they are addressing people's particular situation and necessity in that situation. But Nistrigunya Babarjuna, or Arjuna, become transcendental to these Trigunas, which means become transcendental to the Veda. To that at least 75% and go to the 25 Upanishadic section, which of course the Gita is Gita Upanishad, the very essence of that. Shamananda the other day shared the famous Sarva Upanishad, Ogavo, and so on. Dukta Gopala Nandana, Parto Bhakta Sudhir Bhakta, Dukdam Gritam, Gitam Britam Mahat. The very essence of it. So, Shraddha ceremony is, is actually a ritual prescribed in Shastra in the context of Karma Kanda mostly, in the context of social, religious rituals in the context of worshipping different devatas, and in the context, of course, of all properly honoring one's ancestors. Of course, with this we are not criticizing the Shraddha ceremony, but we, of course, in the light of Uttam Bhakti, Shraddha ceremony becomes uh, not very important, but if someone is not engaged in Uttam Bhakti, Shraddha ceremony, in the context of Vedic culture, that's something very important, along with other ceremonies which help to acknowledge hmm, the importance of elders, hmm, the importance of uh, becoming aware of the reality of life, which, inclu- which includes death, basically. <laughs> so if you, if you are constantly honoring your ancestors, it's a way of taking your attention towards, they are no longer here, but they are somewhere else, hmm, and I will be no longer here at one point, but I will be somewhere else as well. So these type of engagements, acknowledgements, Take our consciousness, again, gradually beyond the gunas. You are not the body, life and death, reincarnation, gratitude towards one's family members, society, and so on. So it's it's something more in the context of reaching some degree of sattva and eventually from there even transcending that. But it's not an anga of bhakti, let's say. It's not that it is uh, prescribed that if you are a Gaudiya Vaishnava, you have to engage in Shraddha ceremony. So, that said, <laughs> I'm not saying it's forbidden to do that. There is a place for that, but as I mentioned, it's in the context of what Srila Rupa Goswami will call Loka Vichar. Loka Vichar means basically public opinion. So, public opinion means sometimes you are a devotee and somehow you have your own convictions, your own Shraddha. But you are also interacting with the world and society, and not always you can, like, I mean, express your shraddha outwardly, overtly, in a perfectly detailed way, and everyone will understand and appreciate that. Somehow, if you choose to still uh, interact with society, there are some conventions, if you will, that you will have to adjust to, some social conventions, if you will. Hmm? 
you may like to, to, to wear gamsha all day at home and in your life, but if you work at the office, probably you have to, to wear some other clothes there. <laughs> you may not be able to enter barefoot with gamsha and whatever, untied sika, who knows what. Now you may be fired in, 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 in five minutes. So that's a, you are adjusting yourself. Not that you like that, but you adjust to that. So this is the same with Shraddha ceremony. And this is something that Rupa Goswami mentions in his uh, purport. Or basically not Rupa Goswami, excuse me. But Jiva Goswami, and if I'm not mistaken, similarly Vishwanath Chakrabarti Thakur, in their purport to Rupa Goswami's definition of Uttam Bhakti. The verse is a well-known one, and I have full confidence that all of you, by the time, have already committed that to memory. <laughs> if not, I give you until next week, maximum. Uh, <laughs> Very important verse. With Rupa Goswami basically is describing... What we, are, which, which, what we are supposed to do as Gaudiya Vaishnavas, which is our conception of bhakti for us. What do we understand when we hear bhakti? Because different lineages will speak about bhakti, but they will have their own idea of bhakti. So which, which, which is our own unique idea of bhakti, called Uttam Bhakti, it is defined here. I will go straight to the point of the question, because this verse has lots to unpack. But basically this verse says, Anyavilasita sunyam, Gyan karma adi anabritam. I concentrate on that second part of the of the verse of the first line. Gyan karma adi anabritam. So, uttam bhakti is gyan karma adi anabritam. Is as my guru Maharaj would say, unhinged or not covered by gyan karma and adi. Adi means etc. So on. So, what does it mean that bhakti is not covered by karma? For example, karma has to do with Barna Ashram, let's say, or Karma Kanda, Shraddha Ceremony. Hmm? So one may think, okay, so if Uttam Bhakti is not covered by karma, it means that a devotee will never engage in Shraddha Ceremony. But we see that in Gaur Lila, even, hmm, they are doing that, that Bhiktacharya is performing some rites, and there is some, some dynamics like that. Because, of course, we are speaking in, about a society where Vedic principles are, are prevalent. Hmm? If, if you are living in, I don't know, in Australia or, or South America, probably society is not following strata ceremony and so on. <laughs> but the point is, the point in the commentary is that bhakti is not covered by karma, means that a devotee at some moment for social convention may engage in some of those actions or rituals like strata ceremony, but internally he or she will not have faith in that in the sense of I mean, it's not dismissing that, but the devotee will feel, it's not that I need this as a devotee. It's not that I have to do this for my bhakti to continue, for my bhakti not to be affected, for my bhakti to be uttam bhakti. The devotee won't have that conception, won't have that type of faith. Because again, shraddha means something else. Only by engaging in Krishna bhakti, that's enough. But externally, sometimes you may see some devotee engaged in some of these things. But... It's not necessarily that they are having faith in them above bhakti or that that is necessary because my bhakti will be affected. So that's the idea of karma anabritam. Bhakti is not covered by karma. The idea is externally you may be engaged in those ceremonies, but internally you will have clear 
I don't need to do this, but I'm doing that because social environment, my family is, is, is carrying this tradition for centuries, so if they do not see me doing that, they will get totally disturbed, and that may get in the way of my bhakti. They may oppose the Vaishnav, they may commit Vaishnav apparat. So, I will participate in the Shraddha ceremony, no problem. But internally, Sudrida Vishvash, no? the Buddha will have firm faith. Actually, by just engaging in the Angas of Bhakti, that's, everything is complete. So, that will be basically the idea. So, of course, with this, the point is, well, you may see the devotees engaged in Shraddha ceremony, so is that correct or not? I don't know. Depending on which conception they have internally, that's the point. <laughs> you follow. If they have a clear idea why they are doing that, if they are doing that just because of loka vichar, social consideration, public opinion, but their shraddha, their faith in bhaktis of, of the uttam type, there is no problem. But if they are thinking, oh no, I have to do all these different rituals and some scars, like Garvadana samskar, all these samskar sometimes also describing the Veda that the child is born and you cut the, cut the, the, the hair or you whatever, give uh, first time solid food. I mean, it's, you can, and you made them choose between a book and some money. You have seen those rituals called samskars, which are like, yeah, like certain chapters that mark beginnings in life, which of course are nice and are okay, but the point is they do not constitute necessarily Uttam Bhakti. It's not that we have to do them. So sometimes the point is, devotees may do that as a cultural function and some nice way of getting together and, 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 and invoking Harikata and Sadhu Sangha and Kirtan in the context of that <laughs> or inviting newcomers and somehow share with them this moment and connect them with Bhakti. But it's not that you have to do that. You may not do any of those things and it's not that you, your Bhakti will diminish because you fail with that particular ritual. So... The important thing here is to have the proper sambandha, the proper conceptual orientation. If, if that's in place externally, you may be seen doing some things with same unbecoming even. <laughs> but if you have the proper vision, that will be nourishing your bhakti. And, external, and the opposite may happen as well. No? You may externally reject all those things in a superficial way without proper understanding. That's not as deep a uh, type of renunciation, if you will, if you want to follow Rupa Goswami's idea of Yukta Viragya, he then will say, Prapanchikataya Abhudya Harishambandi Vastuna Mumukshubi Paritya Gosam Vairagyam Falgum Katyati Anashaktase Bishayam Jatartum Upayunjata Nirbanda Krishna Sambande Yukta Viragya Munchati. So these two verses. No? By proper renunciation is to accept everything in the context of Krishna Bhakti. And false renunciation is to reject everything without seeing how that can be somehow linked with Krishna Bhakti, internally at least, even though externally it may seem otherwise. So, some ideas, Namrasa. I hope that that helps. <clears throat> so, so then I think Anil has some questions. He's raising his hand for the last hour, so I imagine his arm must be in making some yogic austerity, like Iranya Kasipu or something with, I mean, I'm not comparing you with Iranya Kasipu, just saying, you may, like one lifetime with the arms like this. <laughs> so I think it's, it's fair for you to unmute yourself and present your question. Hare Krishna Maharaj, uh, Tanvat Pranam. Uh, thank Pranam. you so much Maharaj. Uh, uh, is there any way I could share my screen? Because it seems like that uh, 
skin share is only allowed for uh, could you possibly make make me a co-host and then i believe i should be able to share my screen but you should be able to, to kind of you, show the verse you should be able to share your screen uh, to share the screen uh, uh which i'm trying to it said that only okay, the host then, can share in this meeting then, then i made you co-host see if that helps okay yes ma'am let's just Yes, ma'am, it's helping now. Okay, they're very good. So let me see screen here. Uh, sorry, Maharaj. In fact, I just like I lost that verse. Uh, just a second. Do you remember the number, or do you want me to remind you? Because you just you asked. Yes, Maharaj. In fact. This verse is here, Maharaj. So this is the verse, in fact, I was intrigued by this verse. This is from Chattana Chaitramit Matalila, yeah. 15th chapter, 108th verse, Maharaj. So this, you know, this verse is about like, you know, that one does not have to undergo initiation or execute the activities required for initiation. One simply has to vibrate the holy name with his lips. Thus, even a man in the lowest class can be delivered. Mm-hmm. So, Maharaj, what intrigued me was that when I read the purport by Shila Prabhupada, um, you know, in fact, the whole purport seems like as if he's trying to kind of speak against the meaning of the verse. Actually, he's talking <laughs> mostly about initiation yeah, yeah, yeah. in the purport. Yeah. You know, so I, I believe, like, you know, I, you got my uh, idea from Maharaj, right? So, this is something I want to ask you, like, you know, the how to understand the meaning of this verse, Maharaj. Okay. Okay. Yeah, good question. Thank you for sharing. Uh, so, so well, how to understand this? Yes, on one side, uh, can you make the the the, the screen smaller again? I don't know how to do that no. myself because I think that that's that's enough. I will I will I will explain the verse. If you can stop, sh- you can stop sharing the screen basically. Stop sharing. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. I, I got the idea. Okay. So, <clears throat> so basically, what I will say is, of course, it may seem a little bit like contradictory. You know, the verse is promoting you can chant Harinam, no need for Diksha, no need for Purascharja, which means like preliminary rites. Pre-initiation engagements, no, no pre-purification process. <laughs> Just vibrate Trinam and everything is there. So that's on one side, and, and, and on another side, Anil is asking, okay, but you read the the purport, and it seems that Trila Prabhupada is basically starting with the famous description of Bhakti Sandarbha about Dibhyagyanam, the Diksha, what's Diksha, and, and, and the importance of Diksha, so how to harmonize that? Well, this is important to understand that on one side, 
in very part, many parts of Shastra, this is only one verse you are sharing with me, Anil, but there are many others who say similarly like that, like implying initiate, uh, Harinam, basically, is independent of initiation. So, of course, immediately the question comes, so, what's the role of initiation? And why even in, in, in most of our lineages, at least coming from the Bhakti Vinod Parivar, why we even speak in terms of Harinam initiation sometimes, <laughs> which may even seem to contradict the idea. I mean, Harinam is beyond initiation, but they are giving Harinam initiation. <laughs> Although it's, it's not, technically speaking, it's called Harinam. It's not Harinam initiation. Initiation proper is more connected with the notion of Diksha. So, the idea with this point, and of course in other parts of Shastra you will find things like the things, that, like verses or statements like the ones Srila Prabhupada is sharing in the purpose, which emphasize the necessity of Diksha, the necessity of accepting a Guru. I mean, you see the 64 Angas that Rupa Goswami is sharing in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, and immediately the first one is Ado Guru Padasraya. Then he says, Sik Krishna Dikshadi Sikshanam, Vishrambena Guru Seva, Sadhu Marganusarana. The very first, mainly first limbs, and he says the first ten are the most important, and the first four of those ten, all of them are related with accepting a guru, and then Sik Krishna Diksha Adi Sikshanam, and receiving Siksha and Diksha from him. And then Rupa Goswami will mention Harinam, Namsankirtan, and so on. <laughs> But interestingly, even in order, he mentions Diksha and Guru. So, again, we have to put all the things together somehow. And, of course, it's important to, to engage in that exercise of uh, finding what's called Gati Samanbaya, which means reconciliation of facts. And go into Shastra and understanding Shastra is not contradicting itself because it's perfect. It's Shabda Brahma. It's Oporuseya. Is divine revealed knowledge, so there cannot be contradiction. Hmm? So there has to be a way of harmonizing the statements of Shastra, or by positing some of their statements as Mukya Vritti and others as Gona Vritti, like direct statements, and when a direct meaning of something doesn't make full sense, then we are to take Gona Vritti, which is a secondary meaning. Like for example, and with this I'm preparing my official reply to you. For example, Krishna in the Gita says, calls Arjuna Purusha Vyagra. Purusha Vyagra means tiger among men. So if you go to the Mokya Vritti there, means that Arjuna is a tiger. But of course, Arjuna is not a tiger. He's not walking with four legs and has a, a, a tail and it's like roaring like a tiger, has the color of a tiger. It's not a tiger. So you cannot take the meaning in its immediate first literal possibility, Mukya Vritti. So if immediate, but you cannot say, oh, Krishna then was mistaken, because he called Arjuna a tiger, but he's not a tiger. So Bhagavad Gita is imperfect. No, it's not like that, because again, all the statements from Shastra are revealed knowledge, are perfect, coming from above. So there has to be a way of understanding it. So there you resort to Gona Vritti. Gona Vritti, of course, means... In this case, Arjuna is a tiger among men, which means his warrior-like spirit in battle is compared like in a symbolic way with that of a tiger. And I think that's immediate understanding you will have immediately also. <laughs> so in that way, we cannot accommodate all the statements. So in this particular case, when it is said in Shastra, 
there's no need for initiation. Harinam can do anything. Diksha is not required. Just chant and be happy. Nastyeva, 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 gatiran jataha. Harinam, 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 I mean, you can take those verses and take, take them into their fullest implication. And it says, I, you don't need anything else than Harinam in Kali Yuga, strictly speaking. But of course, at the same time, there are other statements, as I mentioned, <laughs> that emphasize the importance of Tadvidi Pranipati Upadekhyanti has to do with you have to be initiated by Sri Guru. So the idea here is on one side, Harinam is non different from Hari. Bacha and Bachaka. No, the name and the named. Nam Namino. Abhinatvam Nama Namino. So, Sri Hari is Sarat, as it is said in the, in the Bhagavatam, in the very beginning. He's independent. He's the supreme, absolute truth, totally independent. So, his name, non different from him, is totally independent. So, by, by, by making the statement, Harinam can bestow anything, you don't even, it's independent of Diksha. Basically, the statement I want to establish the independence of Harinam, because the independence of Hari who is non-different from Harinam. So by saying Harinam is, non, uh, Harinam is independent from Diksha, many statements are being, very conclusion are being established. Like for example again, Hari, Harinam is non-different from Hari, and Hari is totally independent. And therefore, since Harinam is non-different from Hari, Harinam is totally independent, even from Diksha. Like making that statement, Hari is non-different from Harinam, totally independent. In other words, if he wants, he can bestow all perfection without the need for diksha, purascha. I mean, potentially speaking, that's a possibility. I mean, it's not that you need to go through diksha in every... That, of course, the rule is, as we will see, diksha, and so on. And harinam, of course, also, but there may be exceptions to the rule when harinam, being totally independent, can bestow all perfection only through that. But at the same time, and this is an important point, Diksha is important. But I, I, I don't want to emphasize Diksha from the sense of like ritualistic thing and you need to go through that initiation so you can take advantage of Harinam. But let's go to the very idea of Harinam. Again, Harinam is non different from Hari. But at the same time, and, and Hari is independent. Yes, independent. Somehow. <laughs> so Bhagavatam begins saying, describing Krishna, Swarat. He's independent. The Bhagavatam describing Krishna Swarat. When the Bhagavatam progresses, Krishna himself describes himself as Aswarat. But in, 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 the, in a particular context, I'm not independent, he says. I'm totally dependent on my devotees. I'm totally enslaved by law. Aham bhakta paradino hi ashwatantra. Ashwatantra, not swatantra. Swatantra means independent. Ashwatantra means totally dependent of my devotees. Iba, Iba means that's a fact, scientific fact. So I follow where my devotees go. This is very nicely depicted in, in the 11th canto as well. Krishna is saying to the. Um, Nirapeksham munim shantam nirbairam samadarsanam 
That's Krishna is speaking about his devotees. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bhagavatam. Anubrajami aham nityam. Aham, Krishna says, I nityam perpetually, I anubrajami. Braja means to go. So anubrajami means to follow where someone else's go. So Krishna says, Anubrajami aham nityam. I perpetually follow wherever my devotees go. Pujayeti angri renubihi. Pujayeti means I worship. Angri Renubi, Angri means feet and Renu means dust. So I worship the dust of their feet and hope I, ha- I hope to be purified by the contact of those feet, by following those feet. Of course, we always generally hear the devotees praying to Bhagavan in that way. <laughs> no, I, I hope to follow the footsteps of Bhagavan and get the touch of his lotus feet and the dust. But Bhagavan himself is repeating the same prayers towards his devotees. Those are the dynamics. I mean, the same prayer we, the, the, the highest devotees are direct to Bhagavan, he's reciprocating accordingly. So, my point with all this is Bhagavan is independent, Hari is independent, Harinam is independent in one sense. Of course, it's independent as uh, Satya Sankalpa, whatever he wants that happens is totally, I mean, transcendental to the Gunas who are, who are limiting. But in the context of his Swarup Shakti, in the context of his experience of what Jiva Goswami calls his Swarup Shakti Ananda, and in relation with his devotee, he's not independent. So the point is, he likes, he's so controlled to them that he likes to give himself through the agency of his devotees. That's an important point made over and over again in Shastra. Vishwanachakavartakur makes this point nicely in the beginning of Madhura Kadambini, which show him. Bhakti's independence and how Bhagavan has uh, his Kripa Shakti, his mercy giving potency has been given per- forever to his devotees, and his devotees are administrating that, that mercy, if you will. So, Bhakti comes from Bhakti, Bhakti comes from the Bhakta. So, the point is yes, Harinam is independent, but as Hari is independent, but at the same time, he's dependent on his devotees. So, Harinam likes to give himself to others through the agency of his devotees. And in that sense, it is important to go through what we call diksha and initiation and so on. So, so that's the main point here. I mean, that's why also we receive Harinam from the sadhu. Because, again, we, may, we, we can make the case, why receiving Harinam from the sadhu? Harinam is independent. I can chant Harinam and that's all. Yes, and, and, and you can chant at one point, and that will create some effect. But if you chant nicely, that will take you to the situation where you will receive Harinam from a sadhu. You will receive the blessings for chanting from a sadhu and be impacted, imbued with particular bhakti scars coming from that sadhu in the form of Harinam. Krishna, Hari, being giving himself to you through the bhakti, through the love of that particular sadhu. And again, in that context, then Diksha will come as a natural uh, consequence of that as a natural development of your relationship with that particular sadhu through which Krishna keeps giving himself in this case in the form of mantra 
Krishna mantra, Gaur mantra, Guru mantra, and so on. So again, the, the principle here is, because we are not, again, Guru, and, and with this I hope I close my reply, but I don't know, let's see. Uh, Harinam is independent, but if, for example, you go to the list of Nama Parat, which is the third Nama Parat, Guru Bhaktiya, which means to basically uh, downplay the principle of Guru, to neglect, to de- neglect the principle of Guru in one's life. So, immediately, on one side you have, yeah, Harinam is independent of initiation, but when someone teach, teach, tells you how to chant Harinam, you realize, oh, I cannot neglect the principle of Guru. And that's where you go, okay, I will receive Harinam from Sri Guru. <laughs> So, the two things are important. It's not that actually necessarily one thing is contradicting the other. One thing is pointing to the other, qualifying the other. Yes, Harinam is independent, as Hari is independent, because it's not different from Hari. At the same time, Harinam, Hari is dependent on the Sadhu. And that's why one of the, way, you, one of the offenses to avoid enchanting is not to neglect the principle of the Guru and of the Sadhu, receive Harinam from them, eventually Krishna Dikshadi Sikshanam, Diksha as well as a natural outcome of, of that. So those will, will be a little bit my, my words, and that's why I think Prabhupada was in his purpose emphasizing you have to receive these things from the sadhu. Like complementing what the verse is saying. It's not saying the verse what this verse is saying is wrong. No, it's not wrong. Again, potentially Harinam can bestow everything, it's too supremely independent. But again, the general rule and, and the general way in which Harinam Mahari acts is giving himself through the medium of the devotee. And we are not to, again, uh, downplay or underestimate the principle of Guru. So, we try to integrate these two conceptions, not seeing them as black and white opposing to each other, basically. Okay. I hope that helps, Anil. Thanks for your question. And, uh, well, I see there's one more question that Sakirati is shared by uh, Adam Nelson, which is a Question, follow-up question to the previous one connected to Shraddha. So I will address that maybe a little briefly, more briefly because we already have spoken quite a while. But if you have some minutes, I will try to address that one. It says like this. Um, can you explain why the birth pastimes aren't existing in the spiritual world and why they take place here? Mm, okay. Yeah. So... Both here, there are this, this, we have these two types of pastimes. Let's call them Prakat Lila and Aprakat Lila. There are many ways you can use different terms. So the manifest pastimes and unmanifest pastimes, or the pastimes on earth <coughs> and the pastimes in, in, in the beyond, if you will. So it, it is described that in the pastimes on earth, there are certain Lilas that take place that do not take place there. Not only Krishna's birth, for example, of Mahaprabhu's birth, which do not happen there, but Krishna's growth, Krishna's crawling, Krishna's learning to walk, Krishna's, again, development, maturing and growing, the, the limbs of the body are transforming. There is the relationship he has with, with his eternal associates goes through a particular uh, chronological sequence in which, for example, Purvarag is there, Krishna and Shirada fall in love, if you will, and the relationship develops from that point on, and so on. So it, it presents 
an Earth-like chronology to make the past tense even more closer to the idea of Naralila, I will say. Naralila means human-like pastimes. And of course, in the Golok, we find human-like pastimes. But on Earth, we, have, we find, an, I will say, a further dose of Naralila. The Nara, the Nara Lila on Earth is much more Nara Lila, if you will. So, and, and, and that makes the pastime more human because it's a way in which the Lila, the Divine Lila, coming on Earth, as my Guru Maharaj will say, on location, is extending to us on Earth as well. Because the Lila comes to invite us to participate into this Divine Drama. And we are humans. We, we are not coming from Golok, from Baikunta, just in case. <laughs> so, so we, we are not accustomed with the sensibilities and the dynamics in, in the parabiom, in the spiritual world. So the lila somehow adapts itself even more to, what, to how it is already in the, in, in the parabiom and presents certain uh, attributes which are much, even much more closer. To, even, already the Nar Lila in Golok is a very close extension of the Absolute to us in comparison to Vaikuntha, or some other realms, even like Dwarka, Mathura, Jodhya. The Braj Lila in Golok is so pro- close, close to our human emotional range. But when that Lila comes on Earth, which constantly is happening, that becomes even more human. It will be like Nara Nara Lila, something like this. <laughs> Not only Nara Lila. Mm-hmm. And, because of, and, and, and Krishna exhibits all these types of, again, of chronological developments, in being born, in developing his own relationship with his associates and so on. So we from here, and that's, that's the Lila that the Bhagavatam is depicting. The Bhagavatam is focusing on the Prakat Lila, not on the Aprakat Lila. The Aprakat description is present in another type of literature, like Govinda Lilamrita, Krishna Bhavanamrita, and some other works. But the Bhagavatam is focusing on the Prakat Lila, because that's the entry door for us here. So... And it's very similar to us. Again, we are born, we have friends, we fall in love, and all these type of things that make us human. So Bhagavan himself goes through that charming experience, of course, in the context, exclusive context of the Surup Shakti. And from there, again, he's calling our humanity to become divine. Hmm. So I will say that those will be one of the main reasons, and for sure, also for the sake of his devotees and for creating some particular... Uh, unique attributes, no? so the lilas are not the same in one place and the other. Diversity, they say, variety is the spice of life. <laughs> and of course, I must quote Kavi Karnapur, who very nicely said that since uh, the greatest joy of a mother is to give birth to a son, a child, and Yashoda cannot give birth to Krishna in Golok because Krishna is never born there, so the whole lila on earth is, is organized for her. So she can have the, the greatest experience of Krishna being born from her womb. So also that's another Vatsalya perspective of, of fully justifying uh, that particular Lila. And the dynamic in, again, in, in, in the Golok, in the spiritual world, is different. It's called Nitya Stiti. Nitya Stiti means like, uh, like, how to say? Yeah, like permanent situation, basically. Like fixed dynamic. Of course, there are days and nights, and there are, as you, as you can hear the descriptions of the Astaka, Niyam, of the different 
eight parts of the day where Krishna and his devotees are doing different things, Mahaprabhu, but it's not that they are growing, that they are born, that they are getting, leaving this earth, this plane or that plane, or, or, or getting to know each other. <laughs> that, they are already there, and that's already happening there. But at the same time, do not think that's boring, because there, there's no these types of chronological unfolding or something like that. It has its own charm. Uh, and, 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 the, and the earthly has its own charm. And of course, I will close my reply by saying, apart from all the things I've said, I will say that sometimes we cannot ask too much why in connection to these questions. Uh, because, I mean, even if, especially if we are not there. Because if we are there, I'm sure that we, will, we won't say to Krishna, Hey, Krishna, I'm here in the Prakat Lila. I'm, I've gone to Golok. Why you are not born there? It doesn't make sense. Why? I mean, if you are there, I'm sure you will feel... I mean, everything is fitting perfectly. Everything is as it has to be. <laughs> so, we have some words to say as the ones I'm sure, but the rest, of course, is those words are trying to inspire us. Try to go there, as Srila Prabhupada would say once when someone was asking him, not this question, but something like, how do they, in the spiritual world, this happens like this or like that? And Prabhupada basically res- summarized his reply saying, why don't you go there and find it for yourself? <laughs> Which, of course, is the, the biggest blessing that, that we can receive from the Guru. Of sending us there, giving us instruction. Why you don't go there? You have it, you go, you have it. It's not a, a question like, you, would you like to go there? But actually, the idea is that we want to go there. So, so basically, that's the idea, no? Bhagavan is acting according to his own sweet will. Yogamaya is orchestrating that Satya Sankalpa. Whatever he wants becomes true and everything fits perfectly in the realm of, of Lila. So the more we get closer to that, the more uh, all the things will become evident for themselves in, in our heart. But nonetheless, some words I shared in that connection. So I hope that that helps Adam. Okay. So it's almost seven here. So some things to do here, some remaining Harinam to invoke. Always some remaining Harinam to invoke. <laughs> so, thank you so much to all of you for, for your time, presence, and questions as usual. And hope to see you next week, same time, same day, same channel. And different dynamics as usual. Srila Gurudev Ki Jai, Sriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai. Sri Harinam Sankirtan ki jai, Sri Navadrim Dham ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrind ki jai, Gaur Primanda Haribo.